Napoleon Bonaparte's penis was sold at an auction in Paris for $3,000. Oh, man. That's crazy. I mean, I knew uh, his name was Bone Apart, but yeah. I never really, you know what I mean? I never really took it literally. So. Yeah, man. So for only $3,000, the lucky bidder was able to bring one of the world's most enigmatic political and military leaders' dicks home with them to put on private display. Yeah, more like... Uh, private display you know what i mean private hey yeah. no but seriously that's uh really crazy i mean I, I guess i mean it's no surprise that people are into oddities i mean you know uh humans have a long history of being into odd and kind of weird things but that's uh, that's a good one right there that's a good one i don't know if i would keep a peanut well, uh, maybe i would <laughs> <laughs> that's probably not a famous person just like a, just a random, random dude <laughs> yeah right totally I mean, at least that's a conversation starter, right? Like, hey, by the right. way, I've got uh, Napoleon Bonaparte's dick. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's uh, pretty crazy. Yeah, so apparently, way back when the dastardly dictator died on May 5th of 1821 on the island of St. Helena, about 1,200 miles southwest from the coast of Africa, the island was the site of his second exile. That's right, his second following his last defeat in 1815. Ah, yes. Nothing too serious or anything. But I think it was something called the Battle of Waterloo. Or, I mean, something that happened on June 18th of 1815 between Napoleon's French army and the Duke of Wellington's British army. I think it lasted something like 23 years? Something like that? Yeah, yeah. It put a stop to Napoleon's attempt to dominate Europe, actually. And the conditions were horrible, man. His army was super weak. His officers were just incompetent. And his tactics were completely inferior, as was his member. Oh! Uh, well, <laughs> he did well for a while. Really made a name for himself, though. Right, right. He had the old Napoleon complex. Very aggressive man. They say he was overcompensating for his short stature. He was anywhere from 5 feet 7 inches or 1.7 meters and 5 feet 10 inches or 1.78 meters, which honestly isn't really all that short, to be honest, especially back then when people were kind of shorter on average from what uh, what I remember being taught in school anyways. Sure. I mean, Tom Cruise is, I think, 5 foot 7 or 1.7 meters. Yep. Danny DeVito, my man. Shout out to Danny. Danny. He is, yeah, he is 4 foot 10 inches, just to put it in uh, perspective. Right. So the Napoleon Complex wasn't due to his height. Oh, you're you're changing the record on that right now? I am. Okay, so what was it uh, referring to then? Well, as I was saying, when he died... His doctor apparently chopped the little bone apart in front of 17 witnesses. <laughs> Whoa, 17 people saw it. Well, yeah, 17, okay, 17 sure. people saw it. I don't know how that was recorded, but apparently 17 witnesses were there. Alrighty. Yeah, so sometime later, a priest acquired it, who then performed on the little bugger, right? Gave him the last rites. It was then handed off to a family called the Vignalis. I believe. And after that, it was bought by an American books dealer, A.S.W. Rosenbach, in uh, 1924. He then sold it to a collector of sorts. And I'm not sure what he collected, but he's collecting penises. Well, I was going to say, hopefully he didn't collect those because that would be weird and just like an odd thing to have to keep track of and like catalog <laughs> and, you know, like make right. a whole like in index for, you know. <laughs> Man, yeah, people do it. I mean, if it can be collected, people will collect it. I mean, in fact, there is a penis museum in Iceland that some guy started because, uh, as he put it, somebody had to do it. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I mean, it's another box to check, so to speak. <laughs> 
Yeah, check that one off, man. So I guess there are 300 severed penises from over 100 species of mammals. And in 2011, the first human penis was added. Apparently, it came from a guy that self-castrated himself, which, you know, we know there are groups of these people, as we mentioned in previous episodes. Oh, yes. The old eunuch makers. So messed up, dude. Yeah, man. Yeah. So this guy uh, who started the museum, he was first given a cattle whip made from a bull's penis when he was a kid. From there, his interest in penises never stopped growing. Well, I suppose I'll uh, just jot that down in my manual of things not to do <laughs> moving forward in the future. <laughs> he's, he's got lampshades made from scrotums. Oh, yeah. He's, he's definitely like the Ed Gain of all things cock and balls, you know? Yeah. Just hopefully he hasn't murdered anyone for the prize possessions. I mean, I'd be pissed. I mean, you'd be dead. I mean, yeah, but I'd still be pissed. All right. Yeah, so this museum also has big old veiny shafts from elves and trolls, bro. No way, dude. No, <laughs> I'm just going to call BS right there. Man, that's what they say, but you know, it's Icelandic folklore. So, I mean, these creatures, as they say, are invisible. Can you imagine if they weren't invisible, though? Like, if we could just see them in everyday life? I guess we'd have to get used to it, like everything else. That'd be weird at first. These large, veiny, shafts, elves, and trolls running around. <laughs> Just like, oh, oh, get out of my way. <laughs> Took one to the eye earlier. <laughs> Ow. But, uh, back to Napoleon's dick. So this collector's name was Donald Hyde. But despite having a name, his wife apparently didn't like it or wasn't impressed with it. She therefore gave the sad thing to a man named John F. Fleming after Donald died. Then, through a failed auction through the famed Christie's Auction House, it was passed on to a John Latimer, who would eventually purchase the old twig minus the berries in 1977 for $3,000. That's uh, that's quite a journey, man. I think it's safe yeah. to say that uh, his, uh, his dick saw more of the world than he did. That's probably true. And according to independent.co.uk, Napoleon Bonaparte's bite, or ZZ, or wand, or birch, whatever you want to call it, Yes, the cue or the stick, right? Yeah. It was measured at 1.5 inches or about 3.8 centimeters. Hmm. That's all I'm going to say about that. Hmm. But let's keep in mind, it's aged quite a bit. True, which, uh, you know, that doesn't do any of us any favors. You know what I mean? Uh, but I'm sure it's been preserved in what, formaldehyde or something like that? Well, actually, formaldehyde wasn't even used until 1859 when it was accidentally discovered by Russian chemist Alexander Mikhailovich Butlerov. So it was most likely kept in, like, straight alcohol and most likely transferred to formaldehyde. I don't know. <laughs> All right. And I'm sure a certain amount of, you know, shrinkage would have occurred both from the pickling that it underwent and then yeah. also just good old it's father age. time itself. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. So there was a documentary called Dead Famous DNA that aired on Channel 4, which is a British television station that described it as very small and measured only one inch or 2.5 centimeters. Again, shrinkage, right? Yeah, I mean, cut the guy some slack. He's dead after all. Yeah. You know. The dictator's penis would then be put up on display in 1927 at the New York City Museum of French Art for a little while, where it would grow on many people's curiosities, and one witness of the viewing would go on to describe it as being similar to a quote-unquote maltreated strip of buckskin shoelace. Well, that's just something I hear every day, so, you know. Just walking down can't, the street. 
a couple of people pass you and you just hear them say, he looked like a maltreated strip of buckskin shoelace. Did you see that? Yeah. That's, uh, Harley, yeah. Hell yeah, brother. That's how you get a thick skin. So another witness would say it looked like a quote unquote piece of leather or a shriveled <laughs> eel. And Judith Pascoe with the New York Times described it as quote, barely recognizable as a human body part, end quote. I mean, it'd be hilarious if they were just assigning value to some random object that they grabbed, you know, like this whole time it's been like an ox toe or something. (laughs) And they're just like, oh yeah, it's Napoleon's penis. You know what I mean? How easy would that have been? Right. So, Yeah. Well, Scott, you know, I think it's time to give you the spotlight so you can present to the world your maltreated strip of buckskin shoelace that holds the (laughs) secrets to the universe. That's right, guys and gals. It's time for Trey Portray. Trey Portray. Excellent. Yeah, speaking of, you know, curiosities and oddities... And our first story actually takes us to a bit more of an advisory. Um, have you been hearing about these huge storms in the East Coop? A little bit. Um, I know there's some flash flooding going on, right? I mean, is there ever, bro? So normally I fill up these stories with strange and crazy things. But I mean, I guess this is kind of crazy in a way. But there, these flash floods have been taking place all over the, the East Coast. New York, Pennsylvania, for example. And this first Traper Tray actually comes to us from usatoday.com. Out of Pennsylvania, a flash flood. Recently, five five were killed, two missing. Whoa. I mean, the death toll is rising. People are being displaced. Tons of property damage. You know, vehicles swept away. Um, but yeah, it's catching people off guard, man. That's insane. And this isn't a normal thing in that area like you know, of the East Coast, right? These crazy flash floods. I mean, just... It's definitely the worst that it's been seen. I mean, this is just a report out of Bucks County. Um, but I guess these people were all found outside of their vehicles. So like they were trapped. Their vehicles got into a place where they couldn't, you know, get free from and just the water took them. And I guess in some places, the water is even reported to have been five feet above Holy the roadway. So this shit. is deep stuff. Yeah, deep stuff. Man, so I guess I'm reading here a nine-month-old boy and his two-year-old sister were swept away. Yes. So there's plenty of people, actually, that are missing. You know, they're unaccounted for, which is understandable considering the degree of these floods. Um, but the rain has just not let up, and it's just created these raging rapids as the article goes on to describe them out of just these creeks like normally you've got these peaceful creeks and they're just turned into these danger water traps these days so yeah we'll be uh, we'll be paying attention to how that's that ongoing situation there's also a tornado warning um issued for the massachusetts new hampshire border as well yeah i'm not at all surprised they say uh they've grounded over 1300 flights just in the last day because of this potential impact of this new wave of storms so it's far from over far from over um and speaking of which uh our second trade portray comes to us from www.msn.com this is posted 16 hours ago apparently the east coast isn't the only place that's getting hit with uh weather happenings or potentially anyways Apparently, in Alaska, late last night, a 7.3 magnitude earthquake was pinged just a few miles off the coast. Uh, That's a big earthquake. 
That's a big one. That's huge and not too far off the coast. No. So in light of that, uh, officials, U.S. officials issued a, an official tsunami warning for Alaska. The aftershocks apparently were felt well inland and uh, in the in the island chain as well. Yes. Uh, throughout the Aleutian Islands and the Cook Inlet regions. Yes. Yes, sir. Uh, but the warning, as usual, just warn people to get away from coastal waters, move to higher ground, keep inland. And stay away from the coast until local officials say that it's safe to return. That's crazy. I was doing some research on uh, tsunamis that happened throughout history in Alaska. Because there's an area of coastline where um, these scientists were studying. And it showed way up the coast into like all these trees where people would you know, potentially live. Every uh, couple hundred years or so, a huge flood will hit that area like massive area and it only happens every couple hundred years for some reason interesting like we're able to yeah they were able to study um like core samples in like the the sand and stuff up into where the the flooded plain would be i guess and they were able to i guess study the time periods of layers of the sand you know yeah and so it shows like every couple hundred years a massive tsunami will hit that area and we're like in that time period right now so whoa that's crazy. I believe it. I mean, it's it's a well-known area, apparently, uh, by the Aleutian Islands and the Alaskan Peninsula and even the Cook Inlet regions. There's just like a hotbed of different tectonic features that cause these phenomena. So that's a situation we'll definitely be following. Be safe out there, Alaska listeners. Yes. Get away from the coast. Don't be, uh, don't be out there surfing. No, get, get um, off your boards. Speaking of cruising for a bruising... This last Trapper Trade comes to us from www.news.com. And I think you probably heard about this, man. But apparently, old Joe Biden has oh, been a nibbling. Oh, man. He's been a nibbling. He's nibbling lately. left and right. Yeah. Yes. If you haven't heard, during a uh, press conference in Finland, old Joe Biden was. Ha- I was think his, call, his name is Joe Biden. <laughs> oh, old Joe Biden appeared appeared to be nibbling on the shoulder of a, a small little girl who was being held by her mom at the time during his departure from a Helsinki yeah. airport. Yeah, dude, that's so weird. He like leaned into little like the little girl's, I guess, the kind of her face, and he yeah. started nibbling like up on her neck and stuff. Yeah, dude. Yeah, so weird. Like he's eighty. Like he's zombie. almost eighty-one. And yeah, dude, the little girls are scared. Totally. I mean, this comes uh, on the heels of several compilations that have been made on the internet Yeah, where Biden is seen caressing, touching, kissing on the head like a number of small children at various White House events. That's got people scratching their heads going, what's going on, old Sleepy Joe? Hmm? Whispering in the girls' ears saying, ooh, I, I like kids more than I like people. Yeah. Yeah, and so uh, there's this Republican operative named Greg Price, and he uh, made a joke because you know how you know Joe Biden he loves ice cream, right? Yes, always eating ice cream. So this this Greg Price cat, uh, Greg Price, he joked that Biden is now confusing babies with ice cream cones. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> dang! It's not like, anyone could just go to Google, go to Reddit, and just search up weird Joe Biden moments or something. And oh my God, it's a plethora of weird shit. Yeah, well, it's. Uh, I think people are starting to take notice more, more and more. So you know, we'll see. We'll see what the future holds. Inform yourself. That's your, that's the president of the United States. Yeah, do it, do it, people. If you haven't, 
inform yourself. Yeah, yeah. And that's it for that tray per tray. Come back next time for everybody's favorite segment. Zip bap a bap bee. Hey man, Scott. Hey Scott. Yo. Let me, yeah. Let me, yeah. yeah, I'm here. What's up, man? Yeah, you know, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Can I ask you a question? I wish you would. Yeah, I wish you would ask me. If you won the lottery tomorrow, what would be the first thing that you would think about? Not do, but think. Huh. Well, because I've actually given this quite a bit of thought, I believe the first thing I would think is, all right, it's time to get a hold of that lawyer. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you know, just because people, you know, and a lot of people say this, I don't know if they do it, but I feel like you're going to need to figure out some privacy immediately. Yes. You know, because your name is about to be blasted everywhere, right? <sighs> so you have to take some steps. You have to take some some steps and limit the social damage that can occur because you don't want it to just get out in a big blurb. Yeah, that's ridiculous. You know? A lot of people like to have their name out after they win. So Hell no. Look at me. I'm rich Not now. Not at like, all. Dude, you got to you make the major self a target. Yeah, exactly. The media is going to make the first move if you're not ahead of the game. So yes, I think the first thing I would think is, well, it's time to talk to a lawyer. Lawyer up. Yeah. So like, uh, you know, your entire mentality would change. Like just say all of a sudden $20 million in your bank account. The the mental like stress immediately because you know that's like that's a heavy thing. You're like, oh, what the? All right, so how do I like manage my emotions? Like you have to ground yourself in a situation like this. Exactly, you have to come back down because you've just been handed a life changing. Your your situation is just instantly changed. So what would be the first thing that you would do? Let's say that you have the twenty million dollars after taxes just sitting safely in your bank account, you know, a modest amount. Oh, man. What would be the first, like, huge purchase or whatever? <laughs> um, Gosh. That's maybe, uh, probably, I'd probably think about where I wanted to set up my home base, you know? That would probably be the first thing that I would, the first move I would make would probably be a literal move. Like, where do I want to carry out the majority of the rest of my days? Would you like it a private place, like up in a mountain somewhere far away from people, so you have a good view of people that are going to be creeping up on you, trying to, you know, you know, that's you? wise, but honestly, probably not. I'd probably rather be connected, at least in some, like to a nearby civilization so that I didn't have to go too far to get supplies okay. and whatnot. But I would isolate myself probably with a, a land barrier of some kind. How about so I would have some kind of property? How about like a just a nice suite at the top of like at the very top of like the Trump Tower, right? <laughs> you just have the whole top floor. Um, Trump Tower, that's yours. If I n- no, not that much <laughs> civilization, bro. <laughs> that's too much civilization there. You don't think that maybe though? Maybe you would chase your childhood dreams of being the rock star you always wanted to be. Oh man! Hey, by the way, not just the childhood dreams. I'm talking like middle agehood dreams as well. I'm still eagerly sending my mixtapes to all the producers, bro. Okay, yeah, I can see them receiving a cassette tape in the mail. I mean, that's classic. <laughs> but maybe, maybe you'd want to give most of your money away to a charity. Perhaps you'd donate it to your favorite political campaign, or maybe you would use it to battle your arch nemesis, climate change. Oh, finally, a weapon in the fight against climate change. <laughs> yeah, twenty million bones. <laughs> you, maybe you can be uh, that crazy climate change girl sidekick and saving the lives of eight billion people. Um, you know, man, no, I'm just gonna no. <laughs> I'll just crush that no. little dream right now. No. 
That's not going to be happening. Did you know, man, her full name is Greta Tintin Eleonora Erneman Thunberg? Whoa. No, I did not know that. You can't even abbreviate that. Anyway, maybe you'd give it to a church. Hmm. Maybe a portion of it, but... I mean, there's a lot of steps here. This is a multifaceted thing, right? There's a lot of lot of things to figure out. A lot of weights, a lot of scales need to be balanced, you know? All right. You said you might give a little bit to church. Like what, Scientology? <laughs> no, <laughs> not the Church of Scientology, bro. <laughs> what, what are you going to do? Yeah, you've church, been trying bro. to peg me for years, man. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we'll just have to wait and see, man. I'll let you know when I win 20 mil. Yeah, all right. All right. All right. Southern Baptist Church. <laughs> Who knows? I don't know. Then maybe maybe he'd just do the usual thing that happens far more often than spend it on multiple properties without having having <laughs> any idea of how property tax or the homeowners association works or, you know, yeah. having a financial advisor on your side. I would just even though those people are just slithering snakes who they can't be trusted either. Exactly. Yeah. I would just I would just spend all twenty million just like right away, you know, on like multiple properties, <laughs> multiple properties. Yes. yes. Multiple all over properties, the all 20 million gone. And then, uh, yeah, I would just take out loans. Oh for all, man. Actually just mortgage after mortgage too, <laughs> until it's all gone. Exactly. And then what do you do? Then you can't pay the mortgage. You can't pay the bills and all your properties get fucking taken. Yep. Repoed and you're left with nothing. And obviously, you know, you'd have to buy a bunch of shiny cars and motorcycles, even though you don't ride them or know anything about them. And of course, buy a bunch of useless, meaningless jewelry and designer clothes. Well, we know what Wayne Dale would buy, at least. Yeah. Nothing yeah. but useless yes. and meaningless yeah. jewelry. Yeah, I can see him buying like three mobile home parks, a monster truck, nothing but designer wife beaters with those prefab stains. And yeah, man, a shit ton of jewelry for sure. But he'd probably buy it from people off the streets, you know? To have it and like, hey, hey, come here. I got some jewelry. You want to see it? You know, one of those people. <laughs> right. And he would <laughs> just yeah, knock yeah, off. And he yeah. would stay away from like signing documents and shit. Yeah. He's crazy like that. A limo monster truck, dude. I could see him buying one of those. Oh, yeah. And probably living in it actually, just like Hell up in yeah. his palace above everyone else, mm. like the sinister egg shaped Nero that he is. Egg or pear. But yeah, I can see it. It definitely, I, I can definitely see that happening. And you know, he wouldn't give any handouts to us. Right. Oh. Like, we would be the last thing on his mind as he guzzles natty ice by the gallon. He just gets a little natty ice factory, like a distillery yeah. near him. Yeah. <laughs> Tossing Benji's to his harem of strippers that live in different sections of the little monster <laughs> truck. Yeah, for sure, dude. Man. Yeah, he, he couldn't choose a worse beer to like, though, man. And he would, he would kick us to the curb in a heartbeat. Yeah. And we would never hear from him again. You know, that's how he drinks beer, right? Just drinks it out of a gallon jug. He I do, already does. I that. do, yes. I think he's got one up there in the sound room. Yeah, that's that's the rumor. I should inform the listeners that our producer, Wayne Dale, well, first, yes, he likes the worst beer, or one of yes, the worst he beers known to man. And second, this motherlicker would go to <laughs> Wally World. That's Walmart, by the way. His favorite place to go at any hour of the day or night. And he will buy like eight 24 packs of natural light. And then he will take an empty gallon jug from like his whole milk or whatever. Mm-hmm. And without even rinsing it out. Yeah. It's gross. Huh? I was just... Oh, sorry. Yeah. And without even rinsing it out to get the milk remnants, he God. will pour individual cans of Natty Ice into the gallon until it's full, and that is how he drinks it, man. That is no joke, man. That's completely true, ladies and gentlemen. He'll seriously walk around wherever and just chug out of this gallon joke of Natty Ice. It's pretty horrible. Pretty. The guy is a nutcase. Crazier than a coconut, man. True, true. He's out there. Tinfoil hat? We're talking tinfoil balaclava. Oh, yeah, dude. Wrapped up. 
Yes. Well, all right, let's get into this. Let's talk a little bit about a gal named Callie Rogers. Callie Rogers was only 16 years old when she won the United Kingdom's lottery back in 2003. The amount this teenager won was the equivalent of $2.3 million in 2003. Callie was making around $5 an hour at the time working as a a checkout girl at this little co-op. And how do you say this name, Scott? Uh, You know, Cockermouth. Yeah, I think that's Cockermouth Cumbria in the UK, right? Right? Yes, yes, thank you. I'm having a hard time pronouncing things as usual. Yes, thanks for making me say that. That's <laughs> great, man. Appreciate it. Well, all right. Well, look, she was working in Cockermouth, Cumbria. There, I said it. And living with her foster parents. They were also living on government assistance. Now, man, imagine only being 16 years old, making $5 an hour, your family's relying on government assistance to get by. And you all of a sudden become a millionaire. And it isn't just your family winning the money. It's you. You are winning the money. It's all yours. Man, I mean, if that's the, if that's the situation that I was in, like, I just, I probably wouldn't know what to do. But as you can imagine, like, all of a sudden, you know, you become this local celebrity. People who would never have come up and talked to you are now trying to be your best friend. Yeah, I mean, for sure. So, like, people are hearing about this. I mean, obviously, like... Everyone's going to know your name and where you're at. And you just can't trust like the first, even the first person that comes up to you. And I mean, then you got family calling and they're like, oh, is it true? Is it true? You know what I mean? So that'd just mm-hmm. be so much to deal with right out the gate. Yeah. All these people just flock into, oh, so fucked up how humans have this like predator part of the brain, like reptilian brain, you know, the super primitive part, just the very basic basis of our being, you know, basic level of consciousness. It's related to just being territorial and like our, you know, sexuality, your hunger, thirst, memory and all that shit. That predatory part that is much more prevalent in some people, right? Those who are always plotting and manipulating and waiting for people to let their guard down. They're keen on seeing this weakness in other people. And literally just prey on them. Yeah, so speaking of that, do a little miniature deep dive on this. Uh, There's a man, I don't know if you've heard of him, his his name is Robert D. Hare. And he's a Canadian man, but more importantly, perhaps, perhaps more importantly than being a Canadian, (laughs) is that he is a very well-known and well-respected forensic psychologist. True. So he is most known for his work in criminal psychology and is or was a professor emeritus of the University of British Columbia. I think he's still there. He's like 90 years old now at this point, but uh, he specializes in psychopathology and psychophysiology. And uh, what the hell are those, you ask? Well, that's a good freaking question, bro. Coop, what are those, man? Why don't you lay it down for us? You're putting that on me. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna have you step up to the podium at oh, this point. Fuck. Yep. All right. All right. Uh, okay. Yes. Two of our favorites. So, okay. Psychopathology is a study of abnormal cognition, behavior, and experiences, which would appear to differ from what is typically considered to be the social norm at any particular time in any particular era. It is an interdisciplinary area of study, which includes clinical psychology, which is human science, behavioral science, theory, and clinical knowledge, all utilized to understand, prevent, and relieve psychologically based distress or dysfunction. It also includes abnormal psychology, which is the branch that studies unusual behavior, the shit we like here on this podcast, or unusual emotion or thought, and can be it can be understood in theory to be a mental disorder. Then there is social psychology. This is the study of how our thoughts, our feelings, and behaviors are influenced by real or maybe even imagined people or presences of other people around us. Whoa. Okay. Well, it's there's a lot. a lot to yeah. There's a lot to unpack there for sure. 
And then there's also the area of developmental psychology, which is the study of how and why we grow and change and adapt throughout our entire lives. And shit's really interesting, man. If, if you really look at yourself and who you are and where you started and where you become, like who you become and where you end up, it's just crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's the age-old discussion of nature versus nurture, right? So you have all of the things around you that have that you've responded to shaping who you are and how you react, but then also your just natural brain chemicals and your proclivities towards acting in certain ways, um, holding on or letting go of certain ideas. And uh, it's just, I mean, there's so much to it, and it's such an interesting mix. It's very and, interesting. It's very dynamic. And don't they say like by the time you're six, that's kind of who you are personality-wise? I believe there's a branch of behavioral study that does say that by the time you're six or seven years old, you're pretty much who you're going to yeah. be for the rest of your life. Also, Modest Mouse, Isaac Brock, made the lyrics, I'm the same as I was when I was six years old. So shout out to Isaac Brock. I mean, they from the... From the mouths of masters. Absolutely. But there are also various other studies involved, of course, such as psychiatry, criminology, social work, sociology, epidemiology, neuroscience, and statistics, and some other cool stuff. And what was that other one? Psychophysiology? Yeah, so psychophysiology is a branch of psychology and is concerned with the physiological steps of the physiological processes. This includes conducting EEGs, or electroencephalography, or uh, neuroimaging, such as magnetic resonance imaging, or MRIs, or position emission tomography, or PET scans, and also neurochemistry. Moving on, though. And so, Robert Hare, he is the man who developed the Hare Psychopathy Checklist, or the PCL Revised, which is widely, if not solely, used to assess people's psychopathy in the United States and Canada. And what is psychopathy? Well, I didn't think you were ever going to ask, Coop, but I wasn't. psychopathy is synonymous with sociopathy and is characterized by persistent antisocial behavior, egotistical traits, impaired empathy and remorse. You know, people who do not care about others and or the consequences of their actions, right? Mm -hmm. They see other people as nothing more than objects for their own manipulation and enjoyment, even if it means murdering them, bro. Right. And to them, other people have no inherent value. There's no more important than your average pet. Or squirrel. Don't forget the squirrels. Oh, man, never forget the squirrels. True. So the PCL, or the Hair Psychopathy Checklist, is what the FBI uses in their Child Abduction and Serial Murder Investigative Resources Center, or CASMERC. It's also used throughout the prison systems to assess inmates all throughout the U.S., Canada, and Britain. Despite Mr. Robert Hare having his own reservations about doing so, because this research was not designed for use outside of controlled experimental research, and here it is in broad application in mm -hmm. areas where it was never meant. I think they were just like, "What's? Is, does anybody have some kind of system? Oh, here's a system. Yeah, let's use it. Yeah, let's just use it Definitely. and never change it. Never mind yeah, I mean, what it was meant for. It doesn't matter. <laughs> exactly. It's considered to be the gold standard for measurement of psychopathy. It, it does have its criticisms, of course. I'm curious as to why it's still the gold standard. You'd think something much more fine-tuned and accurate would have been developed by now, considering it's been used for so long, like over 40 years. And science has improved vastly over that time, you know, leap years in comparison to the 40 years previous to that. For sure, for sure. I mean, and I think a huge part of that is who's willing to champion those issues? Not too many people, right? Because like a lot of people aren't even aware that that's something that happens. So, hey, maybe we're doing our part by bringing some public awareness to it. I hope so. I mean, that's what this podcast is all about, bringing public awareness to whatever the hell we're talking about. <laughs> 
So, ladies and gentlemen, why the hell are we talking about this? We're not sure, <laughs> but we, but we think it has something to do with the fact that people with certain mentalities become horrible people when someone wins the lottery. Yes, yes. Way to bring it full circle back to our original topic. People win the lottery. Some people's predacious reptilian brain kicks on and says, oh, yeah. I want a piece of that. How can I get some of that for myself? Yeah. Robert Hare actually wrote a very popular book, one that is a must read for anyone pursuing a career in psychology. It's also a bestseller published in 1993. It's called Without Conscience, The Disturbing World of the Psychopaths Among Us, which was reissued in 99. And in that book, Mr. Robert Hare describes a psychopath as a social predator, pointing out that most do not kill people. He said, like all predators, they are looking for feeding grounds. Wherever you get power, prestige, and money, you will find them. So if that's not right on point, I don't know what it is. No, I mean, I think that's exactly what we're talking about. Here. Yeah, and he would go on to say, social predators who charm, manipulate, and ruthlessly plow their way through life, leaving a broad trail of broken hearts, shattered expectations, and empty wallets, completely lacking in conscience and empathy, they selfishly take what they want and do as they please, violating social norms and expectations without the slightest sense of regret. Right, right. So um, so in the context of our broad idea that we're sort of bringing back to a modicum of specificity, these are some of the people that anyone who suddenly wins the lottery would have to worry about. Mm -hmm. Social predators. So without getting too deep in the weeds there, let's just move away from rubber hair, get back to the 16-year-old Callie Rogers. So she's 16 in 2003, so she's about 36 years old today. But Callie just won about $2.3 million. So what happens? I'm going to guess not great things. So immediately, people start coming to her from the woodworks, attempting to be her best friend, predators in wait. And about this, she would say, quote, Suddenly, I was a local celebrity, and people would come up to me in pubs as if they were my best friend, and I felt pressure to buy them all drinks. I didn't know who to trust. I mean, yeah, that's uh, I could definitely see that at the bare minimum. That's something that's going to happen, right? People want free oh, shit from you. They come yeah. up to you like, hey, man, buy me that. You have money. Yeah, exactly. But she realized much too late that she was targeted by people whose only goal was to take advantage of her and her money. Sure. Like at first as a 16 year old, maybe she thought the celebrity was cool. Oh, yeah. But then quickly it's like, dude, I don't know these people. This is getting exhausting. Yeah. But to add to all of this, man. So within weeks of winning the money, she met a dude named Nikki Lawson who would become the father of her two eldest children and would move into a 180,000 pound home or about 224,590 US dollars. But about five years later, that relationship would crumble, much like all of the others around her eventually would. That was also when she attempted suicide, but ultimately failed. And at some point early on in all of this, her children were taken away from her, in which she coped by spending 17,000 pounds or about 22,000 US dollars for some fake boobies. Oh, naturally. No, they were fake. Oh, no, I mean... You know, the way she coped with that. It's oh. really interesting. That's what I meant. The oh, way people oh. cope with different problems in their life. Come on. Oh, man. man. All right. You're right. Um, psychopathology, bro. It's extremely interesting. And not just the way people cope with problems, but the ways people cope with successes as well. It goes both ways. For sure. Of course, because all successes can be a problem and all problems can be turned into successes. Is, is this the Bob Ross show? What's going on? What did I come up with that? 
Those aren't mistakes. Those are birds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, all right, exactly. Scott. What else do you think a 16, 17-year-old girl with a couple million free dollars would do? Obviously, uh, I'm just taking a stab here, but, you know, the com- cosmetics, designer clothes, maybe some fake friendships, maybe a nice car, a Malibu, maybe a Malibu. <laughs> oh, man. I bet she went out and bought herself a 2004 Chevrolet Malibu, but no, she would buy some cocaine. Oh, well, I forgot about that. I mean, you kind of have to, right? It's sort of an unwritten rule that if you win the lottery, you have to buy a bunch of Coke. It's just sort of, it's in the fine print. Right. You know, I've read it actually. <laughs> right. yeah. So she would go on to buy over 250,000 pounds money-wise or about 310,000 US dollars in cocaine, which is just absurd. That's so much. Man. So much. Now, here's a couple facts about cocaine. In 2018, one kilo of cocaine, or about 2.2 pounds, sold for around 1,700 US dollars, or about 1,400 pounds in Colombia, the source. But in the US, that price would be between 4,000 and 45,000 US dollars. In the United Kingdom, the price was between 40,000 and 70,000 US dollars, or 32,000 and 56,000 pounds. That's insane, Skrilla for the Billa. Yes, yes. And I'm just going to go out on a limb here and assume that she didn't have the greatest of drug connections, this you know, young teenage girl. you know, I'm sure she wasn't too savvy and way overpaid whoever she got it from. Oh, for sure. And the whole chain of command, you know, there were probably like three or four middlemen instead of just the one. So she's like losing yeah. money every step of the way. I mean, you know, right. that's just what I've heard. I don't really know how right. it works, you know. Uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, we don't know anything about that. So she said, she said she lived like a rock star. She stayed up late partying and always had a bunch of random people hanging out at the house, partying all the time, man, having a constant party. All the usual things an immature young person would do, she did. But what is important in this story is the fallout. So one night in 2018, 15 years after striking it rich, she was attacked by two women on a night out. Marie Hind, 38, and Jade Quayle, 27, were later arrested for attacking Callie, leaving her unconscious with smashed teeth, broken ribs, and permanent damage to her eyesight. Dang. Ah, that's so harsh, man. A couple of fucking little social predators being assholes, man. So yeah, that that sucks. But let's fast forward to December of 2020, I do believe. She was out driving around with a dude named Jason Fearon, her new boyfriend. They were cruising around the streets near the town of Crosby, drinking and snorting coke. Oh, that's super safe. But yeah, continue, continue. They crashed and... uh, they crashed the Hyundai Tucson she was operating at about 1.20 a.m. It wasn't a terrible wreck, but the police were on the scene, of course, and placed Callie under arrest. In her coked-out, drunken mind, she attempted to get out of her handcuffs, and while doing so, the police sprayed her with pepper spray. And throughout this whole thing, she repeatedly told the officers that she was not the driver and that she was the driver, so she just couldn't make up her mind. Ugh, man. It's just just like coked out, drunk. Fully, yeah, Ugh. fully. Gnarly. So in the end of it all, about 20 years later, she says she is penniless and living off government benefits with four children. Man, just she all had the way from two, all... It could have been all the way up and then just went yeah. all the way down. 2.3 mil and just, ugh, life got worse. Yeah. Damn. Well, that is a stark example of what can happen. So now let's talk about Arouge Khan. And uh, Scott, why don't you go ahead and uh, take over? Wow, man. That's just like so kind of you. I'm giving you the baton. I ran my lap. It's your turn. What did you just win like $2.3 million or something? Like, oh, I geez. just wanted the Coke. 
I said, keep oh, the money. Yeah. Give me the coke. <laughs> yeah, I'll take the kilos. I'm just kidding, so, ladies and gentlemen. I we don't do drugs. We're just joking. No, no, no. This is all in good fun. So Arouge, Mr. Arouge Khan, was a 46 year old immigrant from India. Owned not one, not two, but three dry cleaning businesses in Chicago. This was in 2012, by the way, just to provide some context here. The man was at a 7-Eleven gas station near Chicago's far north side, and he had purchased a couple of scratch-off lottery tickets, you know, like you do, something he did on the regs like so many other people. It was definitely a habit at this point for him. Well, he scratches one off, gets nothing, nada, rips it up, Typical. garbage, just throw it on the ground, you know, just litter. <laughs> uh, scratched off the second one, and holy shit, he looks around, blinks a few times, becomes confused. Looks wait, wait, do that, do that. Ladies and gentlemen, you can't see, but Scott's actually acting this out as he's reading it. <laughs> That's <He> true. <laughs> it's true. I am looking around. I am blinking a few times, and I'm becoming confused, you can actually. Hear it. I can hear it. So he, he looks at the numbers again. Eh? Sure enough, he had won one million U.S. dollars. So let's just calculate that amount due to inflation at this point, even though that wasn't so long ago. It was still over 10 years ago. That would be about... $87. Ah, no jokes. I'm just kidding. No, I think that's pretty accurate, actually. $87.24. <laughs> yeah, $1 million US dollars after taxes, you come away with 87 Uh No, but so Aruj Khan, he couldn't believe his eyes. He submitted the ticket to the cashier to validate it, and he went through all the hoopla that accompanies winning the lottery, and immediately, of course, was placed in front of a television camera with his wife on one side and their teenage daughter on the other. And they were all holding the oversized check for $1 million. Uh, Arouge talked about his plans and what he intended to do with the money. He not only wanted to help grow his dry cleaning business, he also wanted to pay off his bills and that festering mortgage. Ooh. And he wanted to make a generous contribution to St. Jude Children's Research Center. All nice. Hey, look at those, man. All nice, regular people things. Yeah. Yeah, you know, from all the research I've done, all the reading into things, getting the cold, hard facts, when I hear St. Jude Children's Research Center, it just reminds me of all those secretly funded, quasi-secret, top-secret government programs where they experimented on children under the guise of doing something completely innocuous. But you hear Children's Research Center and all sorts of red flags start going off. Well, uh... They didn't until you just mentioned all those things. So now I have another thing to have nightmares about. Um, but no, seriously, you know, like there was the Montauk project that took place at Camp Hero on Long yeah. Island where mind control experiments were being done. And they were just trying to figure out like time travel and psychological warfare. It's what Stranger Things is actually based off of. Have you seen that? You checked that no. out yet? Um, no, I actually have not seen that. No. Well, yeah, is it good? Have you well, seen you it? Just I've heard it's he really good. definitely just lost points in my book. So anyways, back to Arouge Khan. He gave that televised speech and then afterward went on with his life, just taking things a little bit easier, you know, than he had before. Um, you're about to have a good chunk of cash and life is good. I mean, you know, you know, right, Coop? You know what that's all about. Um, I can't say I know the feeling, but do go on, please. <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought so. Um, anyways, only weeks after doing that televised speech, Arouge Khan would start to painfully convulse vomit some blood, Whoa. foam from the mouth, and then oh. just fell unconscious. No good. He would soon die. No yeah. good. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Mm. Immediately, he was taken to Cook County Medical Examiner's office, who did some preliminary documentation and a blood test, but nothing came back to officially point to any specific 
cause of death. Interesting. There were no signs of trauma on the body either, so the examiner would write it off as a rouge con just having died of natural causes. Yikes. That's a natural cause. Painfully convulse, vomit some blood, foam from the mouth, and then go unconscious yeah, and die. Not any Ugh. natural causes I've ever seen. Yeah, well, definitely. I mean, was he just rolled in there and the examiner didn't even look at the body and just asked, okay, what happened? Tell me what you wish. And, you know, that just checked all the boxes right there. That's what it looks like here. So it kind of makes you wonder, right? Hmm. <laughs> makes you wonder a hell of a lot. So there were some grieving relatives, as you'd expect, and at least one of them would plead for the medical examiner's office to take a second look. So eventually the office would be persuaded, somehow, and further tests did show that Rouge Khan was poisoned with infamous cyanide. It was then that the Chicago police launched a homicide investigation on the spot. This, of course, set off an international media storm, and one police official would compare it to an Agatha Christie novel. Mm, I'm sure that helped a lot in their investigation. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. They just Everyone got a copy the... of this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they Agatha just followed Christie. the novel. Yeah, she knows. Uh, so here's an interesting tidbit, actually. He had made a pilgrimage to Saudi Arabia, which is required of all able-bodied Muslims, and he had promised himself to give up gambling. Because, you know, he had the habit of buying these lottery tickets. So he decided to give it up and live a better life. But on that one day in 2012, he decided to buy two tickets, striking the million on the second. So after taxes, because, of course, you don't get the amount that you actually win. Right. Out of the million that he had won, he took a one-time sum rather than being paid out over X amount of years. And that came to $600,000, which after taxes was only 425,000 U.S. dollars. That's so great. Not even half. So his brother thinks that the winnings caused some tension within the family, and he believes that it was someone very close to him. Naturally, the police would suspect his widow, but there was no proof of anything. To this Mm. day, it is actually still left unsolved. These are intriguing stories, man. Rags to riches to rag stories are incredible. More like rags to riches to graves, homie. Whoa, yeah, that's right. These, yeah, they're all dying. Damn. You want to do this next one too? You know I do. So this next one happened in Pennsylvania. In the United States back in 1988, William Bud Post III picked up the winning ticket to the $16.2 million jackpot, or 11 million pounds sterling, in the Pennsylvania lottery and instantly became a rich man. At the time, Bill Bud Post III had only two U.S. dollars, or about 1.59 pounds sterling, in his bank account, and he worked various jobs, Jeez. including being part of a traveling uh, carnival troupe. And circuses as well. Well, that's always fun, man. That would be a blast, being a carny or whatever, right? I mean, I'd get fired immediately for just hanging out at all the food tents. Like, they'd be like, hey, man, you work here. I'm all, like, eating a turkey leg. Like, hey, can I get some more cotton candy? (laughs) You know, just like, oh, we got to let this guy go, man. He's not uh, doing his job. He's just eating. So Yeah, he's not over there doing elephant ear cotton candy? (laughs) (laughs) Elephant ear cotton candy? (laughs) So Bill won this money and would be awarded $500,000 in annual payments or just under 400,000 pounds, which is like, shit, man. That's like $500,000 every year. Could you imagine? I couldn't live off that. (laughs) Yeah, it's not enough. enough. No, not enough. Now you've seen uh, the Beverly Hillbillies, right? Fuck yeah, man. The Clampets and Granny. Hell, good stuff. Hell yeah. Awesome show. Awesome show. Yeah. And movie. Real good movie with uh, Jim Varney 
as Jed Clampett, the best. Jim Varney was also everyone's favorite Ernest. I mean, he went to camp. He was scared stupid. He saved Christmas, for Christ's sake. He even went to school. <laughs> yeah, yeah and, he, and he went to Africa and he joined the army. That's right, and slam dunked in 1995 and even went to jail in 1990. Coop. Oh, man, bro, yeah, and he was the janitor there, and, and a great janitor he was. But he also became magnetized and all the paper clips and shit were flying at him and sticking to him. Man, that shit was awesome. I can't even remember the plots of any of those movies. I just remember bits and pieces. And I remember them being just stupid funny, you know, as a kid. But I'm sure that if I watched them now, I just wouldn't be able to handle it. I would have to walk away. Oh, totally. It'd be so cringy. I just like, I couldn't yeah. do it. Good God. We went from the main bit to Beverly Hillbillies to Ernest, man. Let's let's bring it back around. So... A bankruptcy lawyer, and I'm not sure if it was Bill Bud Post III's lawyer or not, but he described Bill Bud Post III, quote, like the Beverly Hillbillies who did everything you would expect of a guy yeah, who became sure. a millionaire. Yeah, yeah, he did. He did it perfectly, too. Yes, harsh criticism. But within two weeks of seeing that first installment of $500,000, oh, and by the way, there would be 26 Jesus. installments of $500,000, just, just to wow. you know, su- suck on that for a minute. Uh, within the first two weeks, he had spent more than $300,000 on all sorts of random shit. He bought all the usual gifts and alcohol, of course, uh, right? You know, because yeah. I'll just... If you're a drinker, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was like, you know what? I'll just buy a liquor license and I'll just serve myself. You yeah, know? fuck. Like, why, why wouldn't you? Yeah, if you're a drinker, yeah, just go for the liquor license. Fuck it. So he would buy a lease for a restaurant. Can you guess where? That's right, Florida. And he would also buy a used car lot. That's pretty random. Bro, in the first three months, the dude was already in the tank about $500,000. But hey, he's got $16.2 million to waste, so let's just keep it going. True. Yeah, I guess he's not worried. Well, he should be. Bill Bud Post III had a brother, and the two didn't quite see eye to eye, you know what I'm saying? So his brother appears to have been pretty jealous of his bro, Bill Bud Post III, and so he came up with a plan to hire a hitman to take him out. Jeez, with his own money, too. And don't forget that the plan included taking out Bill Bud Post, the third sixth wife, as well. You can't forget that detail. Absolutely. Thanks for reminding me and pointing that out, man. Yes, Bill Bud Post, the third, was married a total of seven times. But not within just that time span of him winning the lottery, though. We need to make that clear. That would just be wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's just buying wives. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so anyway, as you might expect, the hit did not go according to plan, and his homicidal broha was arrested. Basically, he attempted to hire a hitman, but then, of course, through the usual watchdog channels and whatnot, he was arrested. So scary to think that your family member, what the person you wouldn't think about, you know, just so easily turn on you like that for you for just money, right? Exactly. I mean, you, you're kill like, you, I knew you didn't like me, but damn, man. <laughs> I wonder if he's. So, I wonder if his oh no. name, his brother. I wonder if his brother's name's Bill Bud Post the Fourth or Bill Bud Post the Second. I know. I want to know, like, if they were all just named Bill Bud Post, like, no individuality uh, yeah. whatsoever. One, just, two, three, four, five. Yeah, right. So our friend Bill Bud Post the Third was undaunted, and he decided that the perfect response to his attempted assassination was to purchase a twin-engine airplane, man. Why wouldn't you? That's the go-to coping thing, man. But he did that without having a pilot's license or any knowledge on how to fly it. Right. He would also buy a mansion for just under 400000 U.S., or about 318,000 pounds. 
So now let's back up a little and talk about the ticket's origin story because it's important. So before the purchase of the 40 tickets that were bought, Bill Bud Post III would pawn a ring for $40. He would give it to a woman named Ann Karpik, who was his landlady at the time and occasional hookup, by the way. Okay. According to her, they made an agreement to split any winnings, which isn't unlikely considering their relationship. Totally. Yeah. So the following year, Anne would sue Bill Bud Post third on the grounds that there was an agreement. The judge ruled in her favor and ordered him to pay her one third of the winnings, most likely because, you know, there was a monetary sum involved. And by this time, only one year after winning it, he's already very much in debt, right? And he refused to turn over any money to Anne. This resulted in the judge freezing his lottery payments until the issue was resolved. And it would be resolved eventually, of course, because like I said, there was a monetary installment involved. Let's go to 1998. Now, do you think it is a coincidence that 1998 was not only the year that Bill Clinton was getting blowies or whatever else from Monica Lewinsky, but also the year that Viagra was presented to the world? Wow. Uh, I never would have made that connection, but I feel like you were the perfect person for that. Um, but as the great George Nori from Coast to Coast always says, I don't believe in coincidences. Hmm. So in 1998, Bill Bud Post III was arrested on his 260,000 US dollar or about 205,000 pound sailboat on a charge from six years previous, shooting a shotgun at a repo man who went to his mansion to collect some debt. I'm sick and tired of all these lousy good-for-nothing millionaires feeling they ain't got to pay for their toys like all the rest of us do. Really grinds my gears. Always scutting around the rules, dodging the tax man, funneling money to offshore bank accounts when the U.S. can't touch it. Oh, uh, hello, sir. I'm here to collect off some debt. Oh, shit. Is that a shotgun, buddy? Get off my steps. Hey, hey now. Hey. You can keep the damn above-ground pool, buddy. It's all yours. I'm out of here. Ain't no ways I'm missing the b-ball game. Those nachos my brother-in-law makes. Man, I'm salivating all over myself just thinking about them. Oh, look, a squirrel. Ah! Dude just wanted to get home to watch some sports and eat nachos. He almost made it out, dude. He could taste that first jalapeno-laden nacho, and then bam! And then look, a fucking squirrel distracts the poor guy. Unexpected. Oh, yeah! Fucking nachos sound so good right now. Nachos always sound good, my friend. So, back to the story. After his arrest for that, he had to serve between 6 and 24 months in prison. Later... He was arrested again and ordered to stay away from his sixth wife after shooting a shotgun into her Pontiac Firebird. No! Not the Firebird. Yes, and toward the end of his 66 years of life, he was more than $1 million U.S. in debt, or about 795,000 pounds. He would rely on government assistance and a $450 per month stipend and would pass away on January 15th 2006. Man, that's brutal. Seven wives. Can you imagine? That's your takeaway of the whole thing. Guy goes to jail. He's like chasing people around with shotguns. You're like, man, seven wives. I can't even deal with one. You know what I mean? Yeah. And by the way, by the way, they came with nine children. And that's just from his first marriage, bro. Yikes. Nine from just his first. No wonder he was $1 million in debt. (laughs) Jeez. 
This next story is about Gerald Muswagon. Coop, tell us about this gentleman here. Well, I would love to do so. Gerald Muswagon was a 42-year-old man from Manitoba, Canada, and he won a $10 million lottery jackpot, or about 795,000 pounds, and that was back in 1998. But with only a few years, he would be penniless and dead. Well, the story's not looking good so far, I'll tell you that. No, and this didn't turn out too well for him. Gerald regularly purchased $2 tickets throughout much of his life. And on one nondescript day, or perhaps night... Well, if we're going to be the best podcast there ever was, we need to at least be on the fringes of accuracy. It was night somewhere. Yes, and day as well. So, we're not even on the fringes. We're directly on the bullseye. Better than a bulls member. (laughs) But on this particular point in time, he would purchase that winning ticket. But before he struck it rich... He was making ends meet by working at various businesses, and he had a friend with a farm that he also occasionally worked at. Gerald and his girlfriend and six children all lived in a decent place in Manitoba, but would immediately purchase a new house. Gerald was a bit of a partier, though, and that house would quickly turn into a literal party pad where there was always a steady supply of alcohol, not to mention various drugs. He was not only drunk on the booze, but he was also drunk with the intoxicating effect of all of a sudden being extremely popular and getting a ton of attention, especially if that's something that you personally seek to have in your life. But sometimes, as in a lot of the time, all that attention brings some pretty unsavory people into your life, people that do not care at all about you. All they care about is being around your money, your wealth, and your metaphorical spotlight. Unless, of course, you pay someone to always follow you around with one of these spotlights. True, true. And be one of those people who pay for fake paparazzi who act like they are hectically trying to outdo each other for the perfect picture as they're walking down the street. Right, right, exactly. Just jostling for the best position. Yes. Anyway, Gerald was kind of one of those people who wanted attention, but once he got it, he kind of went overboard with all of his habits. And some would say niceness because he was very generous with his winnings. Obviously, he would help his family and his real friends with whatever they needed or wanted. And those closest to him tried to help him with his decisions. But ultimately, those decisions were his own to make. And on one occasion, one fine day in Manitoba, Gerald purchased eight big screen TVs. And I'm not sure uh, when he would buy these TVs, but we know that the depth of those early editions of big screens were as deep as they were, quote unquote, big. That's that's for sure, man. Bulky, sons of bitches. They were basically a huge cube, almost a perfect square, actually. Exactly. And we know that they were going for anywhere between like 2000 and 7000 around 2004 and 2005, probably even more and certainly more pre 2004. Right. Yeah, exactly. Which is funny because now they're like a dime a dozen. Yeah. Yeah. And Gerald was loving his lavish lifestyle, you know, buying anything he wanted, especially the cars and expensive electronics, clearly being irresponsible with his finances he decided to invest some of that money into a logging company that he named Gerald's Logging. Sure, you know, shoot high or whatever. You got to have that catchy title that repeats in people's brains, which keeps them coming back. Gerald's Logging. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, this company would flop very soon due to lack of business. Ah, damn. Yeah. And after that, he started spending his money more frivolously. Also, at some point, it seems that he married his girlfriend. One night in 2000, Gerald would go on a little joyride in his Chevrolet Silverado. This little joyride would then turn into a police chase, which would then turn into Gerald finding himself in front of a judge. This resulted in a three-month term in a county jail. Then about two years later, 
he would find himself doing another three-month term for assaulting his housekeeper. His wife would also die around this time. Jeez. After that, he was quickly running out of money. In fact, he had to go back to working on his friend's farm, doing a lot of heavy lifting and nothing but manual labor. Seven years after winning $10 million in 2005, Gerald would go to his parents' house where he would then take his own life by hanging himself in the garage. Oh, man. So, uh, so far, I am seeing quite a trend right now. These people are winning the lottery and nothing good is happening for them. And in a matter of years, not only have their fortune completely disappeared, but some of them are dead. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty bad, man. I mean... It doesn't always happen this way. Obviously, some people win the lottery. It's they're perfectly fine. They manage their money and their lifestyle just fine, you know. But some people just can't do that. They're incapable of doing those things. Well, and not only that, but I think in all of these cases, these people's lives most likely would have just continued as normal if not they had won a large sum of money. So there were three tales about the most average down and out people who amazingly won the lottery, which they thought was going to change their lives for the better. I mean, everyone thinks that though, right? I mean, that's most people think it would be a good thing. Yeah. And the lottery did change their lives, but not for the better. At least there are some cases where it was just an experience that they lived through and where they are today is no worse than where they were before they won. Which is still crazy. To th- yeah. I mean, because like... By all intents and purposes, millions of dollars would be able to change your life like far into the future, but a lot of the people just wind up back to where they started. Yeah, and people can make better decisions, of course, such as not trying to manage all of the money themselves. Go hire a financial advisor. As much as they suck, they will help. It could be a smart move for many people who are suddenly in possession of a shit ton of money. Yeah, exactly. And then the hope is that you learn so much like throughout the process that you you can tell the snake in the grass from the person that legitimately is just trying to do a good job and get more business because they're business-minded. There are other very important things a person should do when they win the lottery. According to Forbes, the global media company that focuses on business, investing, technology, entrepreneurship, leadership, and lifestyle. Just to name a few things. Yeah. But at the same time, I do think that they would know. Yeah. There are 10 things all lottery winners should do immediately upon winning the lottery. We were lucky enough. We were lucky enough to get iced. Oh, iced. <laughs> we were lucky enough to get an iced tea impersonator to read those 10 <laughs> things. So, iced tea impersonator. That's right. That's right. So, iced tea. What we will do here is I'll list these off like one, two, Three, and you'll just read the titles, okay? Yo, man, don't come at me like that, homie. Home me. All right. Okay, Ice-T. One, remain anonymous if your state rules permit it. Two, see a tax pro before you cash the ticket. Three, avoid sudden lifestyle changes. Four, pay off all your debts. Five, Assemble a team of legal and financial advisors. Six. Invest prudently. Seven. Live within a budget. Eight. Take steps to protect assets. Nine. Plan charitable gifts. And ten. Review your estate plan. Nice. Good job. So what do those things mean? 
We don't know until we win the lottery, right? And then we can tell you with confidence. But thank you, Mr. Ice-T impersonator guy. That was really wonderful. Yeah, really good. Is there a problem? Oh, no, no, no. That was actually done very well. You got a really great voice. Great for voice acting. Oh, gee, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, yeah, man. Okay, guys, thanks so much for letting me do this. Bye. I love your show, by the way. <laughs> Damn. Whoa. He's a pretty good actor, isn't he? Yeah, one of the best I've ever seen in my life. How he's able to switch, just, you know, at the snap of a finger, just like that, to a yeah. completely different character. It's almost unheard of in Hollywood, man. Nobody does that. He's going places. Later, <laughs> later, Ice T impersonator. See you, man. And here he was, right in the studio with us just a minute cool. ago. That I love was it. awesome. So cool. Yeah. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you would please, please click that subscribe button and be notified when our next episode comes out, which is every week. And it's always going to be ready to go by early Thursday morning Pacific time. And don't forget to like and share and leave some super cool, awesome comments about the show wherever you can. And you can follow us at Twitter. Our handle is at Paranautica. And you can follow us on Facebook at the Paranautica Podcast. And please email us. We love reading them. They are always short and sweet. Yes, we don't have one today because of short time we have today. But if you'd like to help support the show and help us keep the show going, pump and steam along, throw on that coal in the furnace, you can help out by looking at our Spotify page to find a button where you can help support us. You can also help support us on our Facebook page by going through our Ko-Fi account or through PayPal. We would be so thankful, dear listeners. Thank you all so very much. And remember to walk with one leg crossed in front of the other. Just one leg crossed over in front of the other knee. And then walk from there. And as you do, just yell out from the top of your lungs, Listen to the Paranautica Podcast! (laughs) Because everyone knows that by word of mouth, information is spread very effectively. Yes, yes, it's true. It is true. Be the town loudspeaker. Right, but just repeating that one line. Listen to yes. the Paranautica podcast. Like if yes. people ask you for context, just don't give them any. Just <laughs> just repeat that one line. You change the tone of your voice like you're saying a sentence or whatever, but you, <laughs> all you're saying is listen to the Paranautica podcast. Yeah, it's like Buffalo. Buffalo, 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 yes. Buffalo, Buffalo. <laughs> yes, and try not to trip. Oh, but, <laughs> right, there is that, yeah. Yeah, so that's perfect, man. I like it. Okay, everyone, once again take care of yourselves and take care of each other stop teen pregnancy yes that's a that's a good one gold star you get another star